This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing. We often try to take a different approach to what does it mean to live a life of purpose, a life of priority, a life of focus. Today's episode is going to be a really exciting one because we're coming from an angle we've never come from. And that's through the lens of what it means to have focus at a professional level. And we're talking about professional sports here. The man you're going to meet today spent 12 years with the New York Yankees organization, many of those years as the director of strength and conditioning and performance enhancement, and was along with the team when they won the World Series in 2009. So he has been directly involved with working with some of the greatest baseball players in the world. And we're going to go behind the scenes to really understand what does it look like to have focus when you are playing at the most elite level on one of the most elite teams in the world. And I recognize that whether you're a Yankee fan or not, you know, you might have had some <laughs> some interesting reactions there. I can tell Jay Papazan is just cringing right now, but we'll deal with it. So with that, let's get into my interview with Dana Cavalia. How the heck did you end up working with the Yankees? Man, I don't know. I, I always, I blame it on visualization. You know, I started <laughs> as a kid. I grew up, I grew up in, uh, yeah. I grew up as a kid in New York, uh, Long Island, a suburb about 60 miles away from uh, Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. And as a kid, I was your typical kid. You know, I played Little League and, you know, I envisioned myself as being the next. At the time, it was Bernie Williams, who was a guy that I wanted to be. And, and uh, you know, that that catch with the, you know, the game's on the line. You make that catch. You throw the guy out at the plate. That was me. I was playing that game in my yard, you know, for a lot of years. And, um, you know, I at that point envisioned myself actually becoming a player on the team. Now, my story and journey took a little bit of a different turn and direction, but uh, nonetheless, I still made it, you know, onto the big field. And I can go into that story more. Yeah, well, let's go into that. Cause I mean, so you, you, you visual, you visualize yourself as a professional athlete. You start playing, was it an injury that, or that took you out? Yeah. So the reality is I actually, um, you know, in seventh grade, I, I went to go make the team uh, in middle school. I got cut realized at that point, I really had actually worked to become a good player. So following year, I ended up making the team and, you know, all through high school, I ended up being a, a, a leader and a team captain. And it was, it was great. I ended up um, choosing a small school. I was a young graduate. I was um, 17 when I graduated, wasn't quite ready to go away to school. And uh, I ended up going to a small school in New York called Queens college. It was division two team. I played a year there and I absolutely hated it. So I decided that I'm going to make a big change. And I ended up going to the University of South Florida down in Tampa, Florida. And uh, at that point, I started working um, as an exercise science major. And um, I ended up interning with the football team at the school. Mm -hmm. And it, it was kind of my first introduction to training. But the story actually goes back to 1992. When I went to my first Yankee game and I saw this guy in the outfield along the line stretching players. And I was like, what is that guy doing? Who is he? And what is that job? And I pretty much left it at that. But I had this photograph in my head of this guy in the outfield doing what he was doing. Fast forward to my first semester at the University of South Florida. I end up being an exercise science major. What can I do as an exercise science major? And they say, well, you can go into cardiac rehab. You can do this. You can be a strength and conditioning coach. What's that? What is a strength and conditioning coach? 
at that moment, I learned that the guy on the line was a strength and conditioning coach. Mm. And all of a sudden that image that I took, you know, from way up in the stands, my parents were both teachers. We had, you know, um, you know, I didn't grow up privileged. We sat all the way up at the top and people look like players look like ants on the field. And, and that's how it, that's how it started. So I, at that point I said, I'm going to be a strength and conditioning coach. That's what I want to do. And I locked in and hyper-focused on that. So I went right to the college I was at, spoke with the head strength coach. His name was Ron McKeefree. Great guy. Gave me a shot. And I started off by spray painting the weights black and cleaning the weight room. That was my job. So literally, the Yankees uh, came down for spring training from New York to Tampa probably about four months after I got this gig with, with Ron McKeefree and University of South Florida. I, when I heard they were coming, I, I was like, you know, a New York kid in Florida. I said, this is great. I go and I'm watching the team practice through that like chain link fence. And it was at the time you had flip phones. So I flipped this phone open and I'm like taking pictures. I'm sending it home to my dad, who's a diehard Yankee fan. I'm like, dad, there's Jeter. There's this guy. There's that guy. And I send these pictures home. And uh, actually, just about a week later, uh, Ron McKeefrey calls me in his office. He says, listen, I got a call from a guy by the name of Jeff Mangold, who's the head strength coach with the New York Yankees. And he's looking for two interns to basically help during spring training. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, so, Would you like to do that? I said, there's nothing I'd rather do more. So the next week, it was like a Wednesday morning. I had to be at the field by 8.30 to the stadium I was at, previously looking through the chain link fence. <laughs> park my car, walk into the offices. Hey, I'm Dana Cavalier. I'm from the University of South Florida. They said, come on, you got to come with us. They threw a lanyard over my neck and basically dragged me through the clubhouse. He robed me, put on all my Yankee gear. Next thing you know, I'm, on the middle, I'm in the middle of the field for team stretch. And I'm just like, my world changed in a very short second. And uh, from that point, I interned for the next three years. I started my own business to make a few bucks on the side until I got a, a full-time job. And at that point, I was uh, 22, turning 23, and I got the assistant job as the uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach. And the crazy part is the guy that was in front of me, he had said, I said, you know, how long do you think you're going to do this for? And he's like, ah, I'll probably do it for about 10 or 12 years. I said, man, 10 or 12 years, I'm 22, I'll be 34, I'll get the head job. I, I don't know if I could wait it out, but I'll do my best. Finally, uh, we're playing a game, very hot night in um, Texas, Dallas. Um, we're playing the uh, Texas Rangers. And a pitcher by the name of Philip Hughes is pitching on the mound. He's got a no-hitter going through seven. Pulls his hamstring. And before that, we had a series of hamstring injuries. He pulls his hamstring. The next morning, I see that the guy in front of me, that was the head guy in the, in the hallway, and he's got like tears in his eyes. I said, what happened? He says, I, I got let go. So about an hour later, I literally got a call from our general manager, Brian Cashman. And he said, Dana, can you come to my suite? So I said, oh my God, I interned for this organization. I know all the players. Now I'm going like, to get let go too. So I go into his, to his suite. I knock. I'm nervous wreck. I'm sweating the whole nine. And he says, uh, have a seat. And it's like this gigantic room. I've never seen a suite this big. He says, uh, Dana, I, Brian Cashman, our general manager, says, I just want to let you know that I let Marty go, who was the head guy at the time. And I said, oh, my gosh, now I'm going to be next. So it turns out he said to me, I just want to let you know 
that uh, we've decided to make you the interim head strength and conditioning coach in New York Yankees? Is that something that you think that you can handle? And here I am, 23 years old. At that point in my life, there was nothing that I could not handle, uh, if you asked me. So I said, absolutely. I composed myself. <laughs> and it was like, as soon as I, I was like holding myself, as soon as I got out the door, I opened the door, I closed it. I'm like, yes, dad, you're not going to believe what just happened. I'm the head strength coach. And uh, from that point on, it was a, a, an unbelievable journey. And that organization you know, gave a young guy a shot. And, and I tip my cap to this day to, to a guy like Brian Cashman for taking a, taking a chance on a young guy that really didn't have a, a much of a track record outside of a lot of passion and excitement and, and commitment to, uh, to his craft. So number one, that's an awesome story. I love it. I'm curious, you're this young guy, go, going back to that moment when you, they, 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 they stripped you down, they, they stuck you in the uniform, threw you out there into the middle of the field for, for a stretch. What surprised you most as you started to interact with the players? How big they were. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't forget, I, I was a kid watching these guys on TV and I was sitting all the way up in the bleachers. You know, we were paying the $20 seats and my dad's like, listen, we'll move down after the sixth thing. You know, that kind of, that was the only way I got close to these guys. So to be on the field with them, you know, these guys are six foot four, six foot six, 250 pounds. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, I didn't even think about the job that I was actually there to do. I was in fantasy world right there, you know? So it was, it was, uh, pretty amazing. That, that's hilarious. I, when I was a kid, I had the opportunity to be on the field for every San Diego Charger game for a period of about six years. So from the time I was 12 to 18, and I remember walking down the sidelines and Junior Seau was on one knee. And I remember looking at his biceps and realizing that they were larger than my legs. <laughs> yeah. Like these guys are just massive and you, you, don't, you don't get the sense of it. Yeah, at that point, you realize that you're not going to be a pro football player. Uh, correct, <laughs> correct. When you see these guys, I mean, they're they're uh, they're definitely blessed. But what I always tell people is, you can't forget these guys are hand selected in baseball, especially from all over the world. So they truly are the top one percent, less than one percent. Well, let's go into their mindset because you know it's one thing to be gifted physically, to fit the mold, to be tall, to be strong, to be fast, but that's kind of just jacks to open. You know, the, the, what is the thing that separates the true elite from everyone else? Yeah, well, we all know that it takes a certain baseline of talent. That's number one. To, to be at that level, you have to have a certain baseline of talent. But the biggest differentiator between those that have talent and those that don't really make it long-term is the mindset. And I was fortunate enough to work very closely with some what are going to be first ballot hall of famers. So they're, they're the best of the best cream of the crop. And they had some very, um, common traits, if you will. And, and the one thing I always say is it's, is a very simple mindset. They were not analytical people at all. They were just, they took what was in front of them and they handled the task at hand. They weren't thinking about the future. They weren't thinking about really anything other than what they were doing. So they had this really incredible ability to hyper-focus and also just remain quiet and calm. 
Mm. What what's a story of one of those times when this when this showed up? Yeah, uh, this is just a classic story I always tell, and and I was fortunate enough to spend about an hour and ten minutes every day one on one with the great Mariano Rivera, and uh, this guy was called upon in the biggest situations to perform night after night, you know, year after year, and. I was working with him actually one winter at his home in in his in his basement, and I was stretching him and working on him. And I said, "Mo, let me ask you a question." I said, "You know, for you, how do you do it?" And he says, "Well, it's really quite simple." I said, "All right, well, share that with me." And he said, "Well, I quiet the noise, I slow everything down, and I throw one pitch at a time. That's how I do it." And what he was really describing was being in the zone. And I had said, wow, that's amazing. Now tell me about the big situations, like the ones like the World Series or the game where it's, uh, you know, there's there's men on base and they, you know, it's a tie game or, or we're up by one. And he said, uh, buddy, there are no big situations. Every situation is the same. They're only big in our own mind. And that's it. Mm. And I was, wow, that's amazing. And it, what I took from that was, that anything that's going on in your life, no matter how bad it is, it all comes down to what I call framing and reframing. So it's how you frame something and then how you reframe it. it or this, look at the situation that's presented to you and then how do you reframe that situation? How does that, how does that apply in the business world? Well, I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners here that are, that are in business. And I mean, just look at your, t- just look at day to day. I tell people, if you're in business, you're a firefighter. That's what you are. I mean, you are a professional firefighter because every day that you turn the lights on or you, you know, put the open sign on the door, get ready for fire. So I frame it in saying this is if you want to own a business or you want to run any kind of company, that's just what it is. You're you're a firefighter. So if a fire goes off, I mean, be prepared, you know, just it, it can't phase you. A fire can't knock you down. It's a part of the game. Just like playing catch is a part of baseball to get ready for the game. You know, it's just what it is. So what's an example of a time where, because I'm just trying to, I can imagine in professional sports, this whole framing and reframing, but I'm imagining for the people who are listening to this, many of whom are business owners, you know, what's examples of, of applying that frame and reframe process? To business or, or are you asking me about how I would apply it in, like in, in my sport? Uh, go, go either, whichever you think is more applicable. Maybe, maybe I'll go both, but I, I know for me, like what, what, yeah, what used to give me a lot of anxiety early in my career. Again, don't forget, I was a young guy trying to earn my stripes. So anytime a player would have an injury, whether it be a hamstring pull or anything, you know, soft tissue related, anything muscular, there'd be a file five alarm fire in my mind. And it was because, don't forget, that's how I got my job, right? A guy pulled his hamstring. So I associated hamstring pull with getting fired. It was like a very simple, generic uh, uh, association that I had created, but it wasn't real. So as I got, I got more mature in the position, I said, you know what? Listen, there's not a team in history that's gone through the whole year without a soft tissue injury. It's going to happen. So when it happens, as long as you have documentation before and after, don't get crazy. Present your data, present the why, and whatever happens will happen. And you know, relating that to business, 
when I first started my company, I was so scared. I was really, it was fear. It was, you know, I had a level of fear of losing an employee and that my business, if I lose this person, we're not going to be the same. And what I started to realize after looking now historically at how long we retain employees for certain, you know, coaching positions, they're 18 to 24 month positions. So when someone's arriving at that point and they come to me and say, listen, we're going to move on, I shouldn't be surprised. That's what history has shown in our line of work. That's what it is. They want to go on, take another opportunity or, or open something themselves. That's what it is. So in every business, you can find these different uh, times that you become hyper reactive to something. And it, meanwhile, that something's happened over and over and over again. It's actually a recurring theme. So maybe that's just a part of your business. So instead mm. of getting crazy, just prepare for it. Know that it's going to happen. It's like when you're in the tech game, you know, whether it's running a podcast or if you're ever speaking at a conference, there's going to be a technology issue. Whether it's the mic doesn't work, a battery's dead, you know, the slides aren't transferring over, there's always a problem, you know, whether there's static on the line or an echo. It's just what it is. So that's 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 the reframe is this is just a part of the game and don't get nuts. And and I share this story too, just thinking about the greatest players that I've ever had a chance to play with. I live by this. They don't get too high and they don't get too low. Mm. They just stay even. The players that don't make it are the ones that are your high intensity rah-rah guys. When they're doing great, they're on the top step. And when they're doing poorly, they're sitting with their head in between their legs and a hood pulled over their head. That is the sign of uh, somebody that's not a winner. No, I, I love that. And it's hitting me home very hard right now because you know building a business is as you know is is not easy and for every person who's basically listening to this they're they call it the entrepreneurial roller coaster for a reason you enjoy some very high highs you enjoy some very low lows but how do you even it out and how do you adopt the right mindset so that you truly do just continue to persist until you succeed realizing that sometimes it's going to take a thousand no's a thousand setbacks for you to get to that one that just breaks you through Yet it's having that perspective and realizing it. And I just, I love looking outside of the uh, corporate industry into a world of professional sports to, to realize it applies there as well. It's great, especially baseball, because, you know, Derek Jeter, you know, uh, we were at the game the other day and he said something that was that it's so cliche in baseball, but he said, you know, if you fail seven out of 10 times, you're a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. So, you're going to fail. It's like the sales guy that thinks he's going to close every sale. Now, you have to have the confidence that you're going to close every sale, but if you don't close the sale, it can't take your confidence. You know what I mean? The no's can't take your confidence. They can't strip your confidence. And, you know, I know just in life in general, you have to get very comfortable with rejection. And the more comfortable you become with rejection, the uh, greater your chances for success. Talk, talk to me about just the incredible focus of these players. You and I were talking before this, how, you know, when you're standing at the plate and you've got a hundred mile an hour fastball coming at you, literally a split of a second to make a decision. It's not like you wake up with that focus. I'm, I'm making an assumption that it's something that's developed over time. Is that correct? 
Yeah, what I see is the guys that are are truly the most successful. It, you know, again, in in the sport of baseball, especially, it goes back to how I opened this, and I talked about simplicity. A guy like Derek Jeter was focused on one thing. He was focused on being a great baseball player, and that's it. He wasn't. He didn't have social media. I, I wrote a blog yesterday that said, "Who would have thought a simple homebody from the Midwest?" without a social media account would go on and become the king of New York. And it was like his life was so simple. And the best players, it was baseball when they were at the field and it was family when they were home. And and really the biggest decisions they had to make in their day was where they were going to go to dinner. And, uh, and really that was it. And what movie they were going to watch. So I think where most people lose the ability to focus is their deck and their plate is so full that they don't know what to eat first. So they end up just picking at a little bit of this, picking a little lab, and it's just their focus goes with that. They don't know where to focus. There's too many colors in the rainbow. How many of you who are listening to this are just nodding your head right now and you're realizing, wow, I have so much going on. There's more than I can possibly do in the day I just, I never feel like it can all get done. You feel like you have to try to get it all done, even though you know you can't. You're trying to live the lie that everything matters equally. And what I love is I have not prepped Dana on this, you know, and, and here he is literally modeling the book. Yeah. And, and the book for me, you know, I, I read it long after my career, you know, my day to day work with these guys. And it's just, it's amazing when you get to watch high performers perform day in and day out, I would always ask the question, what makes greatness great? And I, I'll go back and I'll use a guy like Mariano. The fifth, at the start of the fifth inning, every game, he was in the same place on my stretching table. If I was there after the first pitch of the fifth inning, he was screaming my name down the hallway. A guy like Derek Jeter, before a game, you knew that at about 6.30, he was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before every single game. So their routines, <laughs> yeah, yeah, their their routines were insane in terms of, they weren't complicated, but they were so consistent and they were so accountable to their routine. And the fastest way to disrupt the psychology of a high-performing baseball player or a high-performing athlete is interrupt their routine slightly and they will come unglued because that is how they prepare. So like rain, rain delays, um, late flights that are, you know, just uh, cross country, different things like that would cause slight disruptions. But the first thing that they would do was work to pull themselves back on their routine. Mm. Well, and, and I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about this, I have this image of all of my experiences with Gary Keller. And I think of how he very much acknowledges all the things that could be done, but very quickly narrows the focus down to the one thing that should be done and views everything else as a threat. And how over decades, he has narrowed his focus down to one thing at a time. They said, I am going to make this one action a habit until it's ritualized and it becomes part of the routine. And there are just things that now, just like clockwork, it is part of the routine. It is a habit. And, and look at the results. You know, I've only been inside his and Jay's world for a year and a half, and 
how much my life has changed in a short 18 months just watching them do it and then me modeling uh, is incredible. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's amazing. It's training. You know, you need to train yourself to do the things that are important. And you know, when you look at your, uh, you know, P and L sheet as a as a business owner, you know, just break it down by categories. Where are we making the most money? All right, great. Well, that's probably saying to you, put your eyes there. You know, put your efforts there. Put your actions there because that's, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Like that's where you monetize. Like people ask me, hey, where do you monetize? Training and coaching is where I monetize. So why would I focus on other things? It's just that's what I do. And what I realized is speaking is also a form of coaching. So that I can do. Anything outside of that, I don't do. And every time I try to go outside of that, I fail. So why keep doing it? I don't like to fail. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's 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 80-20 at its finest, right? A lot of things you could do, but what's that 20% that's going to get you 80% of the results? And how do you focus in on mastering your 20% and leveraging the rest out? Yep, totally. Of all your experience working with some of the greatest athletes in the professional baseball world, if you had to distill down a single action that a person listening to this could take to begin, whether it's sharpening their focus, getting better results, what would you suggest that they do so they can actually implement? Yeah, well, something that I that I'll go back to, and I, I kind of stepped on it already with the with the routine. You know, I've heard players say, "Live and die by your routine," and that's what they do. So, if you can create routine in your life that's healthy for you, now no two routines are that should be the same. You know, my routine is not the same as yours, Jeff. We are two different people. So if I were to emulate your routine, I'd probably fail. And I think what happens a lot of times is we look towards others to create our routine, whether it feels right or it doesn't. And these great players were able to develop a routine based on their years of experience, preferences, and how they feel that's based for that. It's created for them. It's exclusive to them. So I encourage anyone that's listening is, you know, you know the things that lead towards you having a great day. You know whether you like whether you're someone that wakes up late or wakes up early or it goes to bed late or goes to bed early. You know if you like to work out in the morning or work out in the evening. You know that if you're on your phone for too many hours a day, you're going to feel fried. You know, you have to kind of create a routine that really works for you based on you and your preferences. I know I'm most efficient between 5 a.m. and 12 noon. I could slide it out to about two o'clock. Outside of that, I can't put myself in front of work that requires high-level processing and high-level, you know, technical, uh, you know, just technical work. You have to know yourself, and and I think by knowing yourself, you will be able to create a great routine for you, and it'll create comfort and stability, and you'll be less reactive in your life. And reactivity and hyper focus on the future is what leads to higher levels of anxiety and puts you in a spin cycle. What I love about what Dana just shared is this idea of routine, habit. It's at the heart of the one thing. And I remember uh, Gary telling, telling me that time blocking really is the one thing. The idea of scheduling time with yourself to do your most important work, whether that be at work for your actual business, whether that be taking a specific action that you want to take over time to develop a habit. It is about developing a certain routine. It's about taking control of your time. 
And here is a case study of what it looks like in a completely different industry that I don't think many of us who are listening to this have ever played in. I, I've not played professional baseball, did T-ball. That didn't work out too well for me, but you know, <laughs> I knew myself, like Dana said, you got to be self-aware, you know, baseball, not for me. I'm more of like a, a foosball, air hockey kind of guy. But I think what he said was incredibly wise. Can you look in the mirror and be honest with yourself? What your strengths are? what your weaknesses are, and what is going to work for you. Oftentimes, some of the biggest challenges that we have had or watched people experience with the one thing is they're trying to model it and live it based on what they perceive other people do rather than looking in the mirror and asking what's going to work for them. So take this to heart and begin taking action because that's what it's all about. Uh, If you want to learn more about Dana, if you want to check out his daily blog, you can check out his website, which is danacavalia.com. His name is in the title of this episode and it's also in the description below so you can see how to spell that name. And just know that we really do appreciate you being fans of the One Thing Podcast. We appreciate you listening, sharing this with the people that you care about, and we'll see you in the next episode. 